Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. Hello, achievers. Welcome to Brilliant Thoughts, a success podcast where I dive into people's thoughts and relationships that have helped them grow into the people they are today. Now, my guests are two people that may be a household name for you, father and daughter. And let me start with the father, T.D. Jakes, who a lot of you know for more than 40 years now, Bishop T.D. Jakes has helped millions of people realize their purpose through his dynamic ministry. And some of you may have also heard of his ministry. It's called Potter House, now has over 30,000 members. And T.D. Jakes is also an influencer, a producer, movie producer, who has multiple best-selling books. And be sure to pick up his latest one, Don't Drop the Mic, which we will be talking about in a bit. And of course, Sarah Jakes Roberts, who not only runs a ministry out here in Los Angeles with her husband, but is an incredibly smart and authentic human being, which you'll see in the podcast here. She's a businesswoman, best-selling author, and also a huge influencer in the social media world. And she's also got a brand new book, and it's titled Woman Evolve, which I ordered for my team already. So let's go. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a success podcast. And today we're going to dive into the minds of Sarah Jakes Roberts and Bishop T.D. Jakes, a very, very well-known, great people. And I'm excited because I know Sarah's got a new book coming out and it's it's out already. So let's let's welcome them. Sarah, Bishop, thanks for being on. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. All right. Let's start with Sarah, only because, Bishop, you always start first. So we'll go with, <laughs> we'll go with Sarah, okay? That's I hope reasonable. you don't mind. I hope you don't mind, sir. All right, Sarah, you've got a great book coming out soon. It's called Woman Evolve. It's out already by the time this podcast is, is out. So tell me about that, because you and I were talking before we started, and I said, well, what's the difference between your first book that you wrote versus this one. Was this one easier? Was it harder? What's it about? This one was easier in some ways and harder in other ways. Um, One thing I knew for sure was that the place that I wanted to start with Woman Evolve had to do with rescuing Eve. So you don't even have to be a Bible scholar to know that Eve is probably the most vilified woman in history. I mean, she's, you know, responsible for all of the things that women complain about thousands and thousands of years later. And yet when I was studying Eve, I saw her in such a different light. And I wanted to rescue Eve because I felt like if I could rescue her, I could help every woman rescue themselves. And so it was hard and that I had to plead a case for Eve, but uh, easy because I've been doing this. I've been sharing my story. I've been connecting with different women. I've been relating with them for the last few years. And I know how to reach the heart of a woman to help them understand the potential that is available to them. And so um, it's been a beautiful journey writing Woman Evolve. And it's been a lot different than my first book. All right. So how has this evolved you over the journey of writing the book? Uh, Well, I was sharing 
with you even a little earlier that Woman Evolve in writing this book is so much different than just speaking to women. Because, you know, I may speak once a week somewhere and you kind of visit this space of empowerment and confidence in order to lift a room up and help a room to see themselves in a more perfected, more purposeful light. And yet when writing a book, you have to live in this space more intentionally and more consistently, Mm -hmm. not just in writing the book, but in promoting the book. And it has evolved me because I feel like I'm very much so the girl who doesn't mind being behind the scenes. And yet Mm -hmm. this moment is causing me to come up to the forefront to really own this message, to own the belief and the faith that I have in this book's ability to help every woman. And so it's making me a better leader and a better better thought leader for women who are connected to the message of this book. All right. Uh, Let's talk about that. And then I'll shift over to, to Bishop because you, I think you've been in a position of leadership at an extremely young age, which was awesome to see, by the way, even if if you didn't see it that way at an early age, right? But you were because you were an example to a lot of people in going through through what you did and getting out of it and becoming the woman that you are now, which is amazing. And I think a lot of people forget that as humans, we share so many of the same emotions, right? Just the yeah. different parts of our life. And so with with the world the way it is right now, which I think is is not as flexible as as some would love it to be. Everybody's very opinionated and, yeah. and it's some somewhat rigid, right? How do you think your message can help women grow from there? Because it's it's not easy right now. Yeah. You know, part of the reason why I really love this book is that I feel like it gives women permission to not allow their identity to be placed on them by their past or their fears or even by culture and society. There are so many different standards for what it means to be a woman and Mm -hmm. how you're supposed to show up in the world, whether you're in the business sector or you're an influencer on social media or you're a stay-at-home mom. There's this bar that we're all trying to reach for. And when we don't reach that bar, we think there's something wrong with us. But in Woman Evolve, it was very important to me that women have permission mission to be where they are, who they are, be empowered and confident in that space without feeling like they needed to become something that they saw outside of them. And when this book promises to revolutionize your life, it doesn't promise Mm. to change your life into what you've seen, but for you to come to a place where you feel confident, whole and complete in your offering in whatever industry and space that is in. And I feel like that's going to be the answer that we see to the rigidness that we see in social media, in the media in general, is people being willing to be authentically who they are and to not see that as something that needs to be changed or modified depending on what's happening in the world. And uh, my prayer is that we'll continue to take up space in a way that allows this room to grow from season to season in our life. Yeah, that's a, it's a good point that you bring up when when we're talking about the business world, solopreneur, entrepreneur, sure. right? Because that's something that that we see. I mean, I see it when I'm when I'm consulting these Fortune 500 companies. I'm seeing it. It's like it's. It feels like an all male world. For and, sure. And uh, I know that we hear that people are working on it, but this is a real issue you just brought up because I'm seeing it with my 14 year old daughter. Yeah. When you said um, when we when we show up, but we just sometimes feel like it's not enough because. Mm. 
of the people around us, whether it's social media or the people we're working with, it, it hurts. And you're like, and then we're kind of stuck in that rut, right? Yeah. How do we, how do we break out of that? That's that's my question to you. How how would people in general at at a position in leadership, whether it's a business or they're running their own business, how would you start to break out of that? Belief in the power of representation is so important, not just for companies and organizations, but for the minority that is being represented at the business table. When we look at just even some of the racial injustices that we have experienced or corporations who maybe spoke out and then they said the wrong thing or they released these campaigns that didn't have the right sensitivities. When we refuse to allow our representation to matter, it's not enough to just be in the room, but to actually vocalize why it matters that we're in the room, then our companies aren't even functioning at their best ability because we decided to shrink when we were meant to stand up. And so Mm. I think that it's going to come down to us believing that representation matters. And listen, even in presenting the idea, it doesn't have to be presented in such a way that vilifies the other people at the table, but to offer another perspective, to offer another opinion. And I, for one, I'm big on like, let's address the elephant in the room as the only, I do this all the time when meeting with brands and and partners and sponsors. As a black woman, one of the things that we have to keep in mind in promoting X, Y, and Z is this. Let's bring the fullness of who we are into those opinions and perspectives so that they recognize when I'm saying this, it's not just something that I think that we should brush off of the table, but I have my own cultural worldview that I feel like is going to play a role in how we bring this campaign together in a way that doesn't leave room for us to be wrong, especially when we see the power of how that changes the way a corporation is viewed on social media. That's such a great point because I think I think that a lot of people are are really scared to be wrong. That's why they get yeah. so opinionated about how they feel. Um, Bishop, now I have a question for you in regards to kind of the, the same tempo here. In, in a recent interview that you did, and I'm trying to remember with who I, th- let me see here. It's uh, Stephen Furt- Furtick. And that was my first time seeing anything with Stephen by the way, he did such a great job with that interview with you. Uh, you mentioned something that caught my ear, which I thought was brilliant, by the way. You said being global causes you to be relevant in so many rooms where the rules are different. Mm. And so I want to talk about this flexibility because like I told your daughter here, the ambiance in the U.S. and in the world, it just feels rigid and fractured. How does this flexibility that you you and your daughter both approach everything with bring people closer together uh you use the term flexibility and i think of the term humility okay mm. i love uh, i think humility will bring you to flexibility and i think humility comes when you don't walk into the room assuming that you already understand the nuances of the room of the people therein. Uh, you can become global when you become respectful of our diversity. We try to always focus on what we have in common, but you have to become a student of what is unique about each age, each uh, gender, uh, each ethnicity, and 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 come to it with a with not always with a with a word, but with an ear. You know, the mm-hmm. only reason that we can talk is that we can hear. And I think sometimes we focus on being great talkers, uh, 
Did you just come up with that? Because that was really okay. Because that was good. I like that. No, I think sometimes that uh, we focus on being great talkers, but we need to be great listeners in order to be global. To to find out what your values are, to find out what your core values are, to find out what's offensive to you, to find out what you need, and not to assume that we're all having the same experience just because we're breathing the same air. And you don't have to be well-traveled to face a universal world. Our cities are universal. Our cosmopolitan areas are full of extreme diversity. If our companies are going to be successful today, we can no longer insist that all types of people adapt to us. We have to become adaptable enough to to meet the needs of our constituency and the diversity that exists therein. And so uh, if you're going to be multilingual, you have to be a multi-listener and listen, <laughs> you know, and come to the table to hear and to learn and, and to think and to grow. I've never seen a great teacher who wasn't a great student. Uh, mm. And you can only be a great teacher as long as you're a great student. I love that. Well, look, let's go right into it just perfectly went into the book, Sarah. So how do we evolve into what Bishop is talking about. How do we do that? Uh, well, first of all, Bishop Jakes, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, I I feel humbled by him answering <laughs> that question, but I do think that, that evolving is very much so assuming a heart posture of humility, to my dad's point. Um, I think it's to say that if I'm still here, I believe that there's still growth possible for me. And so whether that's me evolving from, you know, being at the top of my career or evolving from some of my past mistakes and shame, but to really receive as a part of our consciousness that every breath that I have is a gift that is meant to be received and presented to this world in some capacity. And so um, that changed my life. When I changed my mind from I need to prove who I am to I need to be a gift to the world that I'm in, it automatically Mm. gave me a sense of worth and value that I didn't have when I was trying to prove myself. I'm already proven. I am already who I am. I've already been validated. My life is here. I matter. Okay, so now that I'm not trying to prove it, what am I going to do with this life that I've been given? And that's where I believe service plays an incredible role in healing ourselves and healing our journey so that we can then say, how do I want to make this world better? The job, the the accounts, the degrees, those are just things that are tools that are ultimately going to help me serve this world and becoming better. All right. So that's a, that's a solid answer. You just, you just gave us a clear indication as to why we need to, to focus on humility first. So let me, let me go back to Bishop then on this, because as we look to humility as, as a starting point to be able to do this better, how do we, how do we gravitate to that? Because look, I, I get to, and this is, this is going back to all of us sharing the same emotions, right? Some of us don't have control of those, those thoughts that come in our head, right? And some of us talk to, uh, to ourselves in such a mean way. And, and there's, no, there's no section where we can come in and say, okay, well, let's, let's be humble. Where does that voice come in so that we can start to do that, Bishop? I think it comes when you, uh, when you are able to discard narcissism 
it isn't about you. It isn't about how you feel. It isn't about what's going on with you. It isn't about what you're saying to yourself. It is about the broader humanity. And how can I serve that humanity? If when you take the spotlight off of you and you put it on the world around you, and particularly in business, because business uh, excels when it finds other people's problems and resolves them. And there's nothing about resolving other people's problems that's about you. You don't have to market help. If your business yeah. is help to other people, you don't have to market it. People will always want to mm -hmm. see help coming in the room. So it's not about me. It's how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I make things better for you? How can I build a business around a need that you have? rather than focusing on a feeling that I have, let's move me out of the equation. If we were in the hospital and, you, and the doctor came in your room to visit you and he didn't examine you for talking about, you know, I'm not feeling good today. I didn't get enough sleep. My head is hurting. And my back is aching a little bit. I didn't wear the right shoes. And he went on and on and on about how he felt. <laughs> you would wonder, you know, excuse me, I'm the patient. You know, don't you want to know about me? Because really, what I'm paying you to do is help me not explain you. And so if you're if you're in the business world, whether it's uh, whether you're manufacturing garments or whether you're making kitchenware or whether you're developing software, your customer should be paramount in your mind. And here is the mistake that I think most people make in business. I think most people assume that their customer is them. So if they don't like broccoli, they don't serve broccoli. Mm. If they're not technical, they don't they don't embrace technology it's because they assume that their customer is them. You have to be global enough to embrace the fact that somebody deeply enjoys something that you have a deep disdain for and you want to serve them as well. So there has to be uh, a dismissal of biases and, and innate preferences and become global enough that you can have a wide array of customers and consumers. Not only that, let's take it away from that. You can have a wide array of friends. You can have a wide array of experiences. You can have a wide array of relationships. The moment you cease to be the focal point in the room and you become interested in those around you, you become indispensable. All right. That, that makes that makes a lot of sense in, in your approach. That's just great, a great lesson for leaders in general listening in. And I think a lot of a lot of people that are looking to be leaders or in business or just in their lives forget that it starts there, right? Both of you said the exact same thing. Right. We approach this in a sense of you said, Sarah, which was really good. Um, you become instead of trying to prove yourself. You, you try to see, well, what can I give the world, right? What's my specialty? And I, I loved that about what you said. And Bishop, you have a book coming out too. It's called Don't Drop the Mic. By the way, I love that title too. Great job <laughs> on the title. Uh, and in it, you talk about really career advice for people that want to start up in speaking and business in general. Where did you get this idea from? Is it because people approach you? a lot and saying, hey, how do I do this? You've done such a great job. Or where did that idea come from? 
you know, they drug me into this book, kicking and screaming, <laughs> Be- <laughs> only because to get me to articulate how I do what I do was very frightening and intimidating. I compared it to asking your grandmother for a recipe, you know, where she puts in a dash of this and a, a dab of that, you know, and now I've got to measure everything and explain it to somebody. That's where it started the book because I recognized I was trying to put in print the value of speech. When you think about every major reformation mm. that's ever happened in this world, it hasn't been done through a gun. It's been done through a microphone, whether Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, Abraham Lincoln, um, a person, what a person says has had global impact on the world today. It had global impact on marriages. It has global impact in the workspace. And yet we we really don't spend a lot of time on, on communication. As I was writing the book, though, we went into COVID. We went into race uh, uh, turbulence. We went into all kinds of turmoil in this country, political mm. turmoil. And I thought to myself, I kept thinking, as hard as it is to communicate, we must continue to talk. If you only talk to people who think like you, you don't irrigate your knowledge with other streams of consciousness. And it's like a marriage. A silent marriage is a dying marriage. Yeah. You, you can't drop the mic on talking. You have to keep talking and not <laughs> just talking at each other, waiting on each other to take a breath so you can get your point in which is what is much of what goes on now. Yeah. But really listening from the other person's perspective, learning from their perspective, and then adding your contributions from a perspective of equality, not superiority. So don't drop the mic as an encouragement to, uh, to, to keep talking, to keep communicating, to communicate to diverse audiences of people. And most importantly, this interview depicts most graphically why I wrote Don't Drop the Mic, because you are interviewing a 63-year-old man and his daughter. And the very fact that my daughter is on here is, is a legacy. And it says, don't drop the mic. What, what I started, you continue. And to pass that mic and pass that baton, it's one of the most difficult things that we experience whether we're doing succession planning in business or whether we're trying to influence our children, a lot of times in the transition, the transfer leaves the person in a position without the language that created the organization. So don't drop the mic creates the language. It talks about the importance of language, the importance of communication, the struggle it is to get an understanding with somebody whose background is different. They don't even have to be a different race or age, but they grew up on a different side of the tracks. They had a different set of experiences. And it's hard sometimes to communicate because we assume that our values are your values and your thoughts are my thoughts. But we have to do the hard work of communicating or we as a people and a nation and as a society will not survive until we continue to talk with each other, until we learn how to live better with each other. Wow, that that's that was a great answer, man. I love 
I love that you can do that. I, lo- I love that you can do that all in uh, one take there. So I, I want to dive a little deeper into that. And either of sure. you can can answer this. Uh, when I was in law school, my contracts professor said that we were wordsmiths and as as attorneys, right? But I, I learned later on in all businesses and in life, it's it's like we we really have to be careful and aware of the words that we're using in either our with our family or growing our businesses or just in talking to people in general. And because of success brand, it touches so many different segments of business and growth. I want to talk a little bit more about that. Both of you are great communicators. And from everything I've read about both of you and listened to, you both strongly believe that communication is a cornerstone to success, right? How how do you think businesses can be more effective in communicating and more efficient and and taking advantage of the world that we're in to grow instead of just die out. One of the problems, and I deal with this extensively in the book, in an endeavor to speed up everything and embrace technology, and I love technology. I'm on all forms of technology, could not survive without it. I stream, I do everything, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of it. I'm in all of it. I see both of you on there a lot, by the way. So good job. I'm in there all the time, doing selfies, everything. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Bad selfies, but I do it. The, the problem, however, is when it comes to significant issues, you can't change the world through a tweet. Because we don't just communicate with words. When we think about communication, it is not just language. When I'm talking to you, I'm reading your eyes, your body language, your voice inflection, your intonation, uh, your, your, the smile on your face the movement of your lips, the, 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 the grimace you make, the smile you make, all helps to inform me in concert with the language that you use. So communication is not just about vernacular. It is about the whole sum total of human expression. And if you understand that valuable fact about communication, a smile walking up to a client, a a human touch, a moment of empathy. How are you? What's going on with you? You, you doing good. Those, those little simple things that, that those human things that actually stimulate us intellectually as humans. And we have been so deprived from in isolation throughout dealing with this pandemic has reinforced the value of human interaction. And I'm all for the speed and the technology and where appropriate, let's use it. But let us not divorce the fact that Abraham Lincoln could not have tweeted the Gettysburg Address. (laughs) Let us not divorce that. (laughs) Let us not divorce that, that Solomon in all of his wisdom could not have been captured in a blurb uh, on Instagram. And while we have these additional wonderful tools, let us not lose the art. There are thousands of languages that have died from the lack of use and ceased to exist in our society. 
Let us not lose the, the, the love language, the hard work of expressing emotion, pain, laughter, depression, fear, uncertainty. Because when we do that, not only is it cathartic for us, we sit down at, at the table with each other and we have fellowship, not because you said words to me, but because your heart used your lips to leak to me. Mm-hmm. Man, well, Sarah, I'm going to go to you on this because <laughs> I, I just got an awesome sermon from Bishop Jake Sarah. <laughs> uh, and I loved it, by the way. Um, Sarah, how can we break this down and actually begin to apply becoming better communicators through everything your your father said here as business owners, as people, as just family people? How can we do that? You know, I think it has so much to do with what the bishop already said, but to really see the people connected to our goals. So, of course, we've got bottom lines we have, and of course, we want to make it into the black. No one wants to end up in the red as a business owner, but whether they are our employees or our consumers, to keep in mind that they are people. And I think that the pandemic and the racial unrest that we experienced in 2020 is such a a pivotal moment for companies because they had an opportunity to speak out. But to make sure that in those moments where we're speaking out, that we're having ongoing conversations. Because one of the things that we've seen historically is that we speak out one time because we know that we cannot ignore it, but then the conversation doesn't continue. And I think that the businesses that are going to see more loyalty from their consumers are the ones who continue this conversation, you know, um, who celebrate Black creatives, who celebrate Black business owners, who are constantly making Mm. it a part of their core values to make sure that this thing that we said matters doesn't just matter as long as as we get through this season, but it matters to us ongoing. And so I've been um, fortunate enough to see some companies did continue this conversation going outside of, you know, when we saw the murder of George Floyd, but even into the Thanksgiving holiday and the Christmas holidays to be highlighting black businesses, to invest in black businesses. And I think with the pandemic, one of the things that I thought was genius is the moment that we realized that this wasn't going to be something that was three to four weeks. I saw advertising change in immediately from, hey, order food on Postmates to, hey, they're in masks. They're telling us that they're keeping the things safe when they deliver, but you're at home. We're in this together. You're not by yourself. We'll get through this one by one, hand in hand. And I feel like those are the types of things that say, hey, I recognize that we're all in trouble right now, but you're not in trouble by yourself. And now all of a sudden I want to order something through Postmates because I feel like Postmates Mm -hmm. has my back or I want to order something from Nordstrom because Nordstrom's is my friend in this season. And so I think a relationship with your consumer and not just consumers, although I think that's really important, but I think when we're building teams internally, I think to honor the fact that it is a human and not just a role or a position means that we get the full buy-in of a person. You're more important to me than just this goal. Of course, we've got to meet this goal. Of course, we have to meet this deadline, but how are you doing in this moment? And when a person feels cared for, they bring all of themselves into building the vision or dream of that company. So it's it's exactly what the bishop said. All right. Well, you you both mentioned something there, and it wasn't direct. It was kind of indirect. Uh, talking about transitions, as companies are transitioning into COVID, and now we're seeing them, several of them transition out. I think the success, Sarah, you mentioned the success is going to be with those companies that are 
are staying consistent and continually repeating these new ways of doing business, right? Yeah. Which is smart. Uh, but there's a lot of opportunity in transition. And there's also there's also a lot of problems that can happen there. Yeah. And I feel like either companies make it even more like double, triple, quadruple in value, or they die out in transition, right? What do you think is... Either of you can answer this one. What is one or some keys that businesses should focus in when it comes to transition in this world that we're in? I want to jump and say this one little thing that I used in the book that I think fits so well here. Life is filled with disruptions. But winners are people who do not allow the disruption to become a distraction. Solving the disruption may not be the goal to success. The disruption can often be a distraction from where you're really trying to go. Mm. With every disruption comes an opportunity. Bypass the temptation to be distracted and look for the opportunity that exists in disruption for a continuation of innovation, creativity, and the ambiguity of not being so good at what you do. Because disruption disrupts what you're good at and puts you in a place of uncertainty. And none of us like that feeling, but creativity thrives in an environment where you are not so professional at what you do. And the opportunity to growth exist in the disruption if you don't allow the disruption to become a distraction. Well, a lot of the times that distraction comes with uncertainty, like you said, and it's, it's, it's challenging. I mean, look what happened at the very beginning of COVID. It's just an example of how people are functioning. They didn't know what to do. They either, they either went into hiding, right? It's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? This is terrible. Our whole world's going to die. I don't know what's happening. And then you saw the other side of this as well. Those people that said, okay, there's, there's an opportunity to help. There's an opportunity to grow here. Let me take that. There was one conversation I had at the very beginning of COVID with Michael Gerber. He wrote uh, the E-Myth, uh, the E-Myth Revisited. I don't know if you've seen that book, but he, he and I talked about uncertainty as a whole. Mm-hmm. And my question to him was, I, I called him up and I go, Mike, you, you have a few minutes? He's like, yeah. Uh, and I said, Michael, what do you think of this whole COVID thing? Uh, there's so much uncertainty. And he's like, Tristan, uncertainty is where people that are setting the standards of our future world live on a consistent basis. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's a, that's really good. I, I hadn't thought about it like that. He's like, and Tristan... What makes you think that you actually knew what was going to happen yesterday anyway? Like, do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Are you even going to wake up alive? You're living in uncertainty every day. And so he really put it in perspective for me. We don't usually think of that, right? It's like, well, how do I know if I'm even going to wake up tomorrow? So that was a big eye opener for me. But um, Sarah, I'm going to go to you on uncertainty. How do you deal with uncertainty as a whole where your dad says, Hey, look, this is a place, this is a place that, that can help you grow because you get so much creativity. 
right? Yeah. How do you deal with uncertainty? How are you okay with that? I've learned that to my dad's point, uncertainty is the womb of innovation. When I first started Woman Evolve, we were very much so event focused. So we did tours. We'll come to your city, meet us at this arena. And we were very successful at creating these environments where women could come together. I was coming off of tour when COVID began. And Mm -hmm. so we were planning another event, planning another tour. Obviously, people can't gather anymore. And there's a part of me that longed for the stability of yesterday and longed for things to be predictable the way that I thought they were yesterday. And yet I'm standing in this moment where I have to determine, am I going to allow this uncertainty to end everything that I've built up until this point? And so in that womb of uncertainty, we started focusing on our virtual events. We started focusing more intentionally about our social media and how we can make it more content driven than an an announcement board for coming to see us somewhere. And it was crazy that people who had just been introduced to the brand would say things after our our virtual events that they would say as if they had been there in person. This was life changing. I never thought that I would uh, come into a, a virtual experience and come away feeling like I've got hope and and you know innovation for and creativity for this next phase and dimension of my life. And so they're saying the same thing, but in this new realm of creativity, which let which let me know you can be effective in the new. You can be effective in this next. You can be effective even in the uncertainty. And so I would question when we long for the stability, do we really long for things to be that way? Or do we long for the assurance that we feel when we can gauge our success based off of an old model? Or are Mm. we daring and brave enough to say, I don't have a ruler here, but I'm going to do it anyway and see who I become in the process. I think, and I feel this so wholeheartedly, that success has more to do. And I know that for a business podcast, that this is probably going to drive people crazy. But I think the success is in who we become as leaders and as business owners and not always in that bottom line. Because if Netflix would have gauged their bottom line when Blockbuster was still thriving, they would have given up and said, no one cares about renting these DVDs that are coming in the mail. But they believed so much in what they were doing that they were willing to withstand time in the hopes that one day this isn't just going to be mailing DVDs. This is going to be an incredible streaming platform that we are all familiar with so much to the point that the old model that wouldn't buy Netflix, Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix, but that old model didn't believe enough in what was happening. And they allowed the fear of uncertainty to ultimately limit them from moving into this next realm of technology. That's a a great answer. You know, it reminds me of there's a podcast out there called Business Wars. And um, you just you just uh, reminded me of that Netflix versus Blockbuster yeah. thing. Right. So that that's a good one. Uh, all right. So question for for you, since we're talking about businesses transitioning growth, this opportunity that you said, Sarah, uh, who do you become? Right. That's what we really yeah. need to focus on. What are and this can go to either of you, but what are businesses or our business communities? What are they missing right now? Why why are some innovating and why are some dying? Anything that stands out when I say that to you? The big I word. Think, oh, go ahead, Daddy. Yeah, I was <laughs> with you. The, the big word for me is pivot. Yeah. 
uh, and and companies that pivot succeed and companies that don't pivot do not. Marriages that pivot succeed. Marriages <laughs> that don't pivot do not. <laughs> you know, it is very important because life doesn't stay the same. The person you married at 20 is not the same person you're married to at 45. And mm. so longevity is predicated upon your ability to pivot. Example, our automobile industries ended up during the COVID producing ventilators. Yeah. The ability to pivot from a car to a ventilator says I have the bare bones of what's next. I just didn't need to rearrange them in order to remain competitive. If every wife thought that way, if every husband thought that way, if every manager thought that way, I have the bare bones of what's necessary. I just need to rearrange it for what's next. That ability to pivot is 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 called AI. It's not artificial intelligence, but it's adaptability, AQ, adaptability quotient. We need to hire people who are adaptable. Yeah. Okay. Who can adapt on a dime who are not so rigid or regimented that they can only make one thing. No need in making cars when people aren't driving. If the demand is for ventilators, you need not go bankrupt. You just have to adapt. And in the process of adapting and pivoting, you can remain in demand at any age, any stage, any place in your life. If you are not more married to normal, than you are to winning. Yeah. If you if if you can divorce normal and focus on winning, whatever it takes for me to remain, perhaps a better word would be relevant. Mm-hmm. Whatever it takes for me to remain relevant may require that I be able to pivot. As a parent, I have to pivot. Well, what my daughter needs from me now is not what she needed at three. Mm-hmm. I have to be able to pivot to who she is as a young lady or I become irrelevant. You know, she doesn't necessarily want a teddy bear for me right now, you know, <laughs> or to go get ice cream at the store. Well, I might like ice cream. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good example. But you get the gist of what yeah. I'm saying. And, 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 and so when I wrote Don't, don't Drop the Mic, Keep talking. Find out who you are today. Find out who your employees are today. Uh, the, 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 the heartbeat of a company, not an entrepreneur, but a company, is human resources. If, if there's only one place where you must stimulate health is in the heart of the company, which is human resources, because it is through human resources that you revitalize the organization and bring in fresh people with fresh ideas and fresh thoughts who are able to pivot and make those changes in their lives. A a valiant human resources department is critical to the success of a company. You know why? Why? Your greatest resource is not your dollars, it's your people. Yeah. And if you're going to, if you're going to maintain a return on your investment because most companies' biggest overhead is payroll. That's an investment. Mm-hmm. 
And if you're going to get a return on it, you have to communicate with them and have a relationship with them. People don't always stay with you because they couldn't make more money somewhere else. They stay with you when they feel like you are interested in their well-being and they have a human connection with you. And the one thing I think that we're losing in this country, in this world, in our families, in our government, in our churches, in our society, is, is the importance of communicating with each other talking with each other, learning about each other, fueling each other. The reason so many people were suicidal, depressed, domestic violence escalated, young people started committing suicide, was the absence of communication and connectivity. And I learned as a father, and I've learned as a pastor, that in order to communicate, you can't just give them presents, bonuses, payroll advances, you have to give them presence and really be there in the moment to really be there in the moment. And most business people are so full of busyness that they destroy their business because even when they are on site, they're not there. Their minds are not there. And when they're home, they're not there. And a quick warning to you, if you win the business, and you lose the house, what good is the business? So being present when you're home and being present when you're at work is the greatest gift you can give anybody. And if you don't do that, you'll find yourself paying them off like they're the mob or a mafia. In reality, paying people off doesn't pay as well as paying people attention. (laughs) Don't drop the mic. I love that. And that's, that's so true. Sarah, how do you consistently stay present for, for your staff, for the people that work for you? And how would you recommend that people do that that are listening in? I check in with them. I ask them, how are you doing outside of just how's the project, but how are you doing? When they see my name on the weekends, they don't automatically think that there's a fire going on that needs to be tended to. You know, I'm checking on you. When they tell me they're going through a hard time, I don't ask when they're going to be back in the saddle. I say things like, how are you processing that? Is there anything that we can do to serve you in this season? And I feel like helping them to really understand that at the end of the day, I care about you has been really helpful. And then they do the same thing for me too. So when I do need extra support or I'm not doing so well, they don't mind chipping in and going the extra mile or working over because they recognize that this is a mutual relationship and we're all working together. I think one of the other things that is really important is like they recognize that this is a team. Like we're all working together towards one shared vision. And when I feel like that's another thing that I try to be very intentional about is not hiring people who aren't a part of this shared vision. Like if this is just a stop for you on the way to the next business or the next to the next job, if I can help it, I try to not hire you because I want people who believe in the work that we're doing, who believe in the space that we take up in the marketplace. And I've been fortunate that I've got an incredible team that really believes in the work that we do. So even if I have a bad day, the bad day doesn't mm-hmm. make them want to quit because at the end of the day, they believe in the work that we're doing here. And last thing I'll say is if I'm snapping, if I'm sharp, if I 
I say something and I was wrong, we don't just brush that under the table. I own up to it because I think humility in leadership says like, hey, you were right about that. You know, or I jumped out on there too quickly or I placed the blame on you too quickly. Next time I'll do X, Y, and Z because I don't want it to always feel like if I'm always right, even when I'm wrong. All right, let's unpack some of that because I, I heard I heard some stuff from from your book there. You mentioned there that when people reach out to you and you're seeing that maybe they're having a bad day or they're having a tough time, you give them some space. You respect that, right? You you make them real and you're like, I care about you. Now let's turn that around. You also mentioned if I'm having a bad day or I did something wrong, there's vulnerability there. And mm-hmm. And sometimes that can get uncomfortable, right? And you you mentioned uncomfortable vulnerability. What is that? And how do you vision envision leaders, leadership, using that to become better leaders? Because a lot you of know, people are like, business, oh, you know what? I'm not showing weakness, right? I'm all <laughs> I'm all macho, men and women, right? Sure. You know, I do think that that uncomfortable vulnerability, and I do write about this in the book about Google X having this, you know, space where they celebrate people who discover the flaw in whatever idea they're working on. So if they're working on a new technology, people are literally celebrated if they are able to find the flaw or how it's Mm going to fail before it actually hits the marketplace. That comes down to creating a culture where you can be wrong, creating a culture where you can fail, creating a culture where the idea can only become better if we see how it can fall apart first. And so I think that it is very tempting in leadership to come off as the God of the business and the leader of the business. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really create loyalty within your team because they feel like if you've got it all together, then where do I really fit? And so I think taking the chance to be able to say, you know what, I I made a call here, sharing with them the lessons that you learned when you made a bad call, sharing with them the lessons that you learned when you took a chance on a product and it didn't do well, or you took a chance on a a brand or a partnership and it didn't go well, sharing with them the lessons that you learned from that and how we can improve and make sure that we do better next time. It is uncomfortable for anyone to admit that they made the wrong call, but it is also very human that we're not always going to make the best calls. And it doesn't have to be an announcement that goes out to the entire team, but at least your core executive team to be able to say, this is what I'm learning. This is what I learned from this last thing that didn't go well. This is what I want to avoid in the future. It helps them to better build with you uh, when they're able to draw from the wisdom and lessons that you learn from different ventures. I like that. Let me jump in and say, a lot of people don't have the language to execute what we just said. They don't Mm -hmm. have the language to execute what we just said. It's very difficult for them to just walk into a boardroom and say, (laughs) I was wrong in a political environment where somebody's waiting for you to be wrong to overthrow you. Mm -hmm. Instead, let's come in the room and say, I thought I could do this by myself, but I really do need your help with this. Let's do a hackathon. Let's throw ideas up against Mm -hmm. the wall. Let's see what works effectively. We can make this better together than we can by ourselves. And I need your assistance, your ideas, whether they work or don't work. Let's throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Having, Having language for these feelings is very, very important. You don't have to come in and say, I'm a failure 
and and I'm a fraudulent CEO, and maybe I should get out of business and have an emotional breakdown, and all of a sudden need your therapist to come to the office. You don't really have to go that far. You can, people really love believable heroes. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. can really come and say, "Wow, can you?" Even not just when you're wrong, when you're right. I think I got a good idea, but you might can make it a better one. Mm-hmm. Let's play around with this and see how much better we can make this. Am I looking at everything about this? If you're in the room and you're doing all the talking, you're wasting payroll on a staff you don't need. If there are no ideas being generated from anybody but you, then why do you have them? That's not a sign of weakness. The smartest person in the room is the person who's smart enough to hire people smarter than them. Amen. Surround yourself, surround yourself with brilliant people and communicate with them and create the kind of culture in the organization that people are not afraid to talk. That culture is, is produced in, in, in nonverbal ways, body language, how you interact with people where people can express ideas and not be shot down or stared down or frozen out or send them little innuendos. We don't bring you any coffee. We don't invite you out after five. We have little subtle ways of isolating people and, and making them put their nose in a corner. Let's not do that. Let's bring them in and and let's keep talking and let's keep learning and let's keep growing. And if we do your idea and it doesn't work, let's go back in and huddle again. You don't quit a football game because you didn't make a touchdown. You go back to the huddle. Go back to the huddle, re-strategize, and then run the play again. That kind of idea is, is what we're both really talking about. My daughter's focusing more on women. I'm talking more in general. When I talk yeah. about don't drop the mic, I'm talking more in general. There's a great need for what she's doing because women are moving into roles that they've been denied before yeah. without being alleviated of the responsibilities that they traditionally have. So the, it's not just that you get to be the CEO and you come home and you have nothing to do. You're the CEO <laughs> and the mom and the wife and the daughter, you know, and your girlfriend's best friend. And you've got all these titles <laughs> and all these jobs and all these requirements. And you are judged as a woman. In areas that men are not judged. If I don't cook well, I'm not judged. If I don't dress the kids well, I'm not judged. Women are judged on every level. So when she starts talking about woman evolve, she's trying to support women as they are moving through the glass ceiling, trying to show them how to shatter the ceiling without bleeding. On the other hand, when I talk about don't drop the mic, I am telling you, Bleeding or not, keep talking. Uh, Harassed or not, keep talking. Cancel culture or not, keep talking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Haters on the email or uh, on on the Instagram or not, keep talking. We will never get better at being if we grow up into a shell and become silent. You, You know, depression, psychologically, depression is anger turned inside. 
And anytime anger is turned inside, we become depressed. That means instead of all of those pills, if we would just verbalize, even if it's anger and get it out, mm. it doesn't fester on the inside. But we need the language to be able to express everything from frustration to affection. We can have affection as human beings and it can be trapped in our hearts and we're afraid to get it out. We can have mm. disappointment and it can be trapped in our hearts and we don't get it out. We can lose great people that we really needed in our organization because we didn't have the language to tell them how important they were to us. So when I'm talking about don't drop the mic, I'm talking about a wide range of traditions that goes all the way back to our African heritage where the father sat by the fire without pen or pencil and told stories to each other and passed on verbal languages goes back to my ancestry. And so mm -hmm. our ability to tell stories and communicate is, is totally in alignment with our ancestry and the traditions of our elders and our forefathers. Those stories kept us alive. And we want to share those stories with the broader audience so that your, your children will have a story and a tradition that is not always good. It's good and bad. It's like great cooking. It's sweet and sour. It's got a little bitterness in it and a little <laughs> sweetness in it. And, and, and your mouth has an experience. Yeah. That's the way a great relationship should be. You should have an experience when I come in the room. Well, we're talking about evolution here, both of you. It's so interesting that that both of you are talking about this this form of, of growth, right? And I, I took some notes as you both of you were talking. So I had a question and you answered it. I was going to ask you, well, what, what do you suggest that as businesses, as people, we focus on when it comes to evolving? And both of you kind of answered and said, focusing on human growth through empowering people by giving them the confidence to contribute, right? Right. And exactly. That, that's exactly what you answered my question. So I just wrote it out. I was mm -hmm. like, okay, great. So why do you think then businesses and just people, solopreneurs, and, and just in general in families, why, why is it so hard for us to communicate, right? I mean, does it go really back to humility, at the very beginning when we started? We, we're not taught anymore to communicate. It's not, we, we raise our kids with iPads. We're taught to push buttons. And uh, if I push this button, this app comes up. And if I open this app, it responds in predictable ways. So mm -hmm. when we take those principles and those skills that we learn from an iPad and we put it into a relationship, I push this button in this relationship and you don't respond in a predictable way. I'm lost. Got it. Because I didn't get to practice on something that wasn't predictable. People are not predictable. Business is not predictable. Sure. Trends in our society are not predictable. The stock market is not predictable. Politics is not predictable. So any area that doesn't respond like an iPad leaves our generation confused because we're expecting to push the button and get the reaction. And so we keep pushing the button, trying to get the reaction, not understanding this is not a machine. Point two, 
no matter no matter how technical your business may be, no matter what you studied about algorithms and what you understand about technology and all of it, at some point, even when you call these people and you keep getting these robotical answers and you get artificial intelligence and information and going down the line, no matter how far you go down the line, eventually it's going to run into a person. It, it, you're not going to go from point A to point B through technology. The destination will always be people. Since people will ultimately be the destiny, we cannot become so engrossed in the transportation that we lose sight of the value of the destination. Yeah, that message needs to be heard all across businesses, by the way, because so many people are scared that tech is going to come Artificial intelligence is going to take over, but you just gave a great answer in regards to why humans can never be replaced because of the that humanity, that human touch at the end of the day. That's why we continue to move forward, right? So I love that. That's. Uh, did you want to add something, Sarah? I'm sorry. I was just going to say as it relates to creating that environment and culture where people are able to share their thoughts. Um, I think to my dad's point, so many people don't have the language. And I think if that is how we're going to begin shifting our families, our corporations, our organizations, that we have to be willing to ask the questions that we want people to answer. I mean, it is the difference. Um, you know, I learned a long time ago that if I asked my kids how their day was at school, that they would say good. But if I asked them what they ate for lunch and what was the funniest moment of the day, that it, it allowed them to go deeper into their thoughts and to tell me more about their experiences. So after meetings to be able to say, what did you think about when they said X, Y, and Z? And do you think that that will win or that will fail? I think that that's an opportunity to ask them beyond just broad stroke questions, but to really get a detailed pulse on what they're thinking about what's happening in our family or in our organizations, because they don't always have the language or they don't know what you want to hear. And I think if you really just want to hear what I think that sometimes to ask me that question more directly creates a space and an opportunity where I understand how my thoughts are received and what your reaction is. And the next time, perhaps I won't need a prompting because we've created an environment and a culture mm. where ideas and thoughts can be easily accessed without being vilified or perhaps, um, you know, tossed away easily. Well, a lot of us get into this, this way of life that is more automatic, Right. Where yeah. we yeah. we're already just used to doing things, thinking a certain way. We've created these habits and thinking outside of that is a burden. Yeah. And and so this is this is also a challenge in why we communicate the way we communicate, which is. I want to say, say something to your listeners as well. Shoot. My, my daughter was so spot on. It took me so much longer than her to learn how to have a conversation with kids. You cannot walk in and say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. And you keep on walking and think that's okay. I, I was old before I figured that out. So she's, she's way ahead of me. That's, that's She really, rocks, that's why. <laughs> yeah, she rocks, she rocks, she rocks, she rocks. I want to add to that, that sometimes when you ask someone a question, give them a day or two before they answer. Mm. Because... I don't like to generalize, but but forgive this stereotypical answer. Most men process in private. So we're not going to come back at you with an immediate answer. May not mm -hmm. even act like we heard what you said. Mm -hmm. 
It may be two or three days later when we come back and say, you know, the other day when you were talking to me about so and so and so, I think such and such and such and such. So, so now we have moved from language to rhythm. The rhythm of the conversation may take days because everybody doesn't process spontaneously about complex issues. And it may be on the next time we get together that I respond to something you said on the first time we got together, because that means, guess what that means? I carried you home with me. That means you were in the car with me when I was driving. Mm. Yeah. That means what you said climbed in the bed with me. And I got, up, I, I got up and took a shower and your head was still, what you said was still in my head. And two days later, I come back to you with a more perfect answer rather than the fierce urgency yeah. of having to respond extemporaneously. The, all of those things are important about understanding who you're talking to the rhythm with which they process complex issues, it's easy for me to give you a quick answer about a business issue or about something I know or something I've read or, mm -hmm. who quote, or, or a quote I picked up or mm -hmm. scripture or whatever it is. But when you ask me how I feel, I have to go down in the basement, move the dust off the, off the trunk, Find the key to the lock, <laughs> open up the trunk, move grandma's quilt out the way and get down to, I think I'm angry about that. Yeah. Now, how that do might we, take me a minute to get to Bishop, that. Bishop, how do we get there quicker? Because the world we live in, the business world we live in is so quick. And if we're, we're, we're not there as aware as someone like like Sarah or like you, where it takes us longer or just we never realize that we're actually angry and why, right? It ruins relationships. It ruins businesses. How can we get there quicker so that we're aware of how we're truly feeling? That's such a great question. You get there quicker through practice. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Were you thinking that too? <laughs> yeah, because once you, you figure out where the key is and how to move the quilt, you can get down the stairs a little bit faster to find <laughs> <Yeah>. your feelings. <laughs> yeah, and and the once once you find out that you said your truth and the whole world didn't blow up and the yeah. house didn't burn down and everybody didn't lock you up mm. and you feel safer to get down there quicker, all of that lends itself to a speed that causes what we want in all of our employees, which is growth. So if you're mentoring an individual, what starts out at 20 miles an hour may end up at 90 miles an hour, but it takes practice. If you practice the piano, you play faster. Yeah. You can play more efficiently. You can play more accurately. If you practice driving, you get better at it. If you practice coding, you become more proficient at it. And, and what we have not been taught is to practice language. To practice language is something that we are not taught. And we don't get a chance to do it. People ask you, how are you? And they're walking while they ask you. Yeah. <laughs> I am people. I am people. How are you doing today? And, and, and by the time you open your mouth to answer them, they're gone. Okay. Yeah. So we don't get many chances to practice having authentic conversations so we become tribal and we hang around people 
whose answers reflect our values, which reinforces that we are right and all of them are wrong. But we need to talk to them. Democrats need to talk to Republicans. White people need to talk to black people. Brown people need to talk to white people. Old people need to talk to young people. Yeah. Because if you don't, you alienate them simply because you don't want to go down the stairs and, and dig down into the chest and move your grandma's blanket and get down to the, the vulnerable feeling that maybe what I've always thought might not be right. But when we do that, the world changes. And, and, and what I am saying, the reason I say we can't drop the mic is because we're standing on the cliff of destruction as a society. We have too many ways to kill each other and not enough ways to make people alive. And we have got to keep talking because if we're not, if we're talking, we're not shooting. If we're talking, we're not killing. If we're, if we're talking, we're not blowing each other up. If we're talking, we're not raping each other. If we're talking, we're not demeaning each other. We have got to keep talking. We must not drop the mic. That's true. Well, well, how do we, how do you practice this type of communication? Because all we see are polarized figures of leaders and people with power going at it and not really letting anybody else talk and just getting their point across. And if you don't say something that I agree with, guess what? You're wrong. And uh, we hate you. But we only do that because we're gladiators and we have an audience. And so we have to go in for the kill because the crowd is cheering. If you want to have a real relationship, get off of Twitter and Instagram and mm -hmm. let's go to Starbucks and have a cup of coffee. You'd be surprised how differently people talk when there is no audience cheering. Yeah. So we need more Starbucks. Is that what you're yeah, saying? We need, yeah, <laughs> we need, what we do, what every, every company is talking about diversity and inclusion. Yeah. But what they really mean is placing props up for photos. If you really are interested in inclusion yeah. and not just diversity, you have to make me a part of your life yeah. and you have to have conversations with me when there are no audiences so that we can talk as people and it doesn't become about power and it doesn't become about scoring points and getting your crowd to cheer. That's such a great point on that. All right, I've got two more things for both of you. Uh, one of them is, this is just my curiosity. Do, do either of you, I'm going to go to you, Sarah, actually, first. So do you have a routine either in the morning or in the evening that helps you process being just a better overall version of yourself, morning or evening routine? Anything that do. you do consistently? Yeah, I wake up in the morning and I have like this lemon tea with aloe in it. And I sit down for a moment and I think about what the day holds for me and who I'm going to have to become in order to show up for that moment and where I am in comparison to who I need to show up as. 
And depending on where that gap is, you know, maybe that's for me that I need to turn on some music and get my energy up, or I need to take a moment and just choose to be present in every single activity that I have lined up for the day. But I size my day up and then I measure myself. And sometimes that's moving meetings around and saying, I just don't have what it takes to show up in this space today. Mm-hmm. But I think that even to that point of like, how do we become better at this communication is communicating with ourselves would be an improvement. When is the last time you extra self? How are you doing? When mm-hmm. is the last time you went down to that chest without anyone asking you and forcing you to have a conversation? How are you handling this pandemic? How are you handling this growth in the business? How are you handling this downsizing? How is it chipping away at your confidence? Is it building you up in pride to take a moment and communicate with yourself? That way the answer is going to be more readily available when it shows up in our relationships, whether they're personal or professional relationships. And so checking in with myself, if I can do it at night, if I'm not too exhausted, I take a minute before the night is done. And instead of doing a to-do list, sometimes I do a got done list because there are so Mm. many pressures and projects that we still need to continue the next day. But to be able to say for what I had in today, I was able to accomplish X, Y, and Z. I spent time with the kids. I signed that deal. I organized my Dropbox. <laughs> like those small things that matter in the grand scheme of things make me feel like as much as I have left to do, I was able to master a lot today. And I thank myself and my body and my mind and my God for giving me the grace to show up. It's a great answer. I think you, you touched on something that not a lot of people touch on, and that's when we look at what we have in our calendar for that day, we look at it and we're like, am I really going to be fully present to this meeting? Because if I'm not, maybe I should push it off to a different day because I'm doing a disservice to myself and to those that I'm meeting. That's a valuable point, Sarah. Really, really good. I took notes on that one. So thank you. It's great. Mine is just the opposite. I probably need to adopt hers. <laughs> I'm so busy trying to get my knees and my back to stand up straight and not have to crawl across the floor in the morning that I don't always get it done in the morning. But I am religious about at night. I need Ooh. my space at night, yeah. at least an hour or so, where I disconnect from everything and everybody. I jot down everything that I'm thinking about that's really important so that I don't go to bed with with pressure or pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I say my prayers to remind me that I'm really not God and mm-hmm. I really don't have to solve everything in the world and I can't turn it over to somebody bigger than myself. That's very important, not only for my spiritual life, but for my mental health to know that I'm not really the boss. I just play that on TV. (laughs) (laughs) And then I find the most ridiculous comedy I can find in the world (laughs) and laugh myself to sleep because laughter is medicine. (laughs) It is medicine. It stops me from waking up at three o'clock in the morning with all of my wheels spinning throwing snow everywhere, gaining no traction, moving nothing forward, but I can't get my engine to stop even though my eyes are closed. I love that. That's both of you had great, great answers. 
different and both yours. are great. I'm going to uh, try yours. <laughs> give me some tea, girl. Give me boom, boom. Uh, I was waiting for one of you saying that there was going to be ice cream either in the morning uh, or in the evening. But I didn't know not. we were talking about that. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> try to have a green smoothie. Ooh, I like that. All right. So last question here. I, I was talking to Sarah before you jumped in, Bishop, and I was asking her, what's one question that you don't often get asked, right? And she said that nobody ever asks, well, no, but not nobody, but hardly anybody asks about my mother. And I thought, oh, interesting. Uh, I want to know a little bit more. I didn't dig deep into it. So I want to ask both of you, how how has she been able to, to hold everything together behind the scenes and keep both of you going? Wow. <laughs> Who goes first on that one? <laughs> first <laughs> first of all, it's like her presence just entered the chat because it's just um she she reminds me where home is for my heart, for my mind. Um she is that person that reminds me whether the book is a hit or not. You are a hit. She reminds me of what really matters. She's like um, sunglasses when the sun is bright. She's a blanket on the chilliest night. She is the thing that makes you feel like whatever I'm facing, I'm covered in the midst of it. And so that assurance and stability that she provides in her presence makes you really feel like I could swing at this again. I could try and do it all over again because she is... um, She's home. Yeah, she's every bit of that. She's every bit of that. Uh, Additionally, my wife has a way of saying things that stay with you the rest of your life. I'll give a short story. Uh, A friend of mine passed away in Cleveland. I had to fly to Cleveland in the middle of the pandemic when everything had spiked and it was absolutely horrible. And, And I flew up there. I did not know she was worried to death until I got back. When I got back and I came in the house, I looked in her face and I knew immediately that she had been traumatized by my trip. I walked in the room and said, you should have told me that you felt that way. If you felt that way, I would have never taken you through that. I would not have gone. She came over and sat beside me on the bed and looked, held my hand and looked me in the eye and said, if we die, we die together. Mm. That's who she is. Wow. What, what, what is her? That was my reaction. <laughs> what, what is her name? What's her name? Sarita. Sarita. Now, yeah, I, I just wanted to put a name to her. She... She... She has this amazing way of holding everybody together and um, really honing in. She's very ride or die loyal. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best. That's the only way. Yeah, yeah. She, she's with you 100%. And she has this way of not leaving you wondering where her priorities are. Yeah. Mm. So that you might be insecure about 10,000 things, but she's not one of them. Yeah. Uh, 
And then she has this way of creating the atmosphere in the house that is spa-like. It is tranquil. <laughs> it is laid back. It is easy. And and I tell people that she's spa music and I'm hip hop. Okay. He's the club. My dad is the club. When I go home, his part of the house sounds like the club. Her part sounds like the spa. I just sit in the middle and thank God for this crazy parental duo that they've given me. <laughs> well, it sounds like sounds like Sarita is the secret sauce here. So absolutely. And I'm just using Sarah's words there. So that was good. Yeah. Thank you, it's Sarah, true. for the ammunition. Yeah. It's true. Well, well, thank you so much for for being on the podcast. It's called brilliant thoughts and you definitely gave a lot of those so go pick up woman evolved and then read it i'm excited i was telling sarah that my daughter is probably going to be a reader of that one so thank you for that i really appreciate that and then also pick up don't drop the mic there's a, a longer title to that but that's the initial title don't drop the mic and it's Bishop's new book. So thank you both for being on. Any closing words or we're good? I would just want to say one thing for the man. Don't be afraid to buy Woman Evolve as well. Because a lot of times we don't understand the women that we work with, that we live with, that we birth, that we married, because we don't read their words. Wow. So true. And, and, and even though it is called Woman Evolve, if she evolves without you, you get left behind. <laughs> so to give the book a read. You know, I ordered it already. So, and I ordered it for my team. So both men and women, uh, very impressed with, with the research that I did on both of you. So keep on doing an amazing, amazing job and, and keep on helping businesses and people grow. So thank you for being on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.